The Lord's blessing. Dear Lord God, we're grateful, as always, sitting before your word, and we'd ask that you would keep us faithful. In your son's name, amen. Uh, chapter 5 of Galatians is a oft-referenced passage. It's got the fruit of the Spirit in there got some good things that you probably quoted. I was quoting it, I think, a portion of it last night in the discussion we are having on the porch. So they're sort of rattling about in your head. You realize you actually haven't been through Galatians 5 um, in many years. Um, and so I wanted to look at it because of some of the, as I read through it, uh, there was some phrasing that was uniquely abrupt. Maybe I like abrupt. Uh, and uh, so I'm going to draw your attention to a few of those things. But primarily, um, and you know that I go on like it's a hobby horse. Um, Galatians is about the nature and the sanctity of the gospel that we have in Christ by faith. And uh, uh, standing against those who would bring us back under the law. And so all that is preceding this in the first four chapters of Galatians. And he's reading in the riot act about their picking up on righteousness through the law. And so when he gets to verse 1 of chapter 5, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Um, we were at, at Drones Club yesterday. We were, Dan Smith was commenting on how freedom, he was thinking political freedom, of course, uh, was, a, was the great game. The reason you had all the other rights was that freedom would exist. And we, t we see the word freedom, and we absorb it, it feels good, it's like words like faith or peace or joy or something like that. For freedom Christ has set us free. And you can almost expect one of your you know, maiden aunts to put it up on Facebook with a soft focus tree or something like that. For freedom Christ has set us free. But I don't think we actually recognize where this is happening to you. This is after four chapters of just calling them idiots. And four chapters of him going, you don't seem to understand what Christianity is. You were set free for the freedom. Okay? You were set free for the freedom. Because one of the great, the great things about, how about righteousness? Well, no, it says you were set free for freedom. Christ has set you free. Now that freedom... The wonderful thing about the freedom in Christ and what we, we get is that God wants our righteousness to be natural to us and given to him. You know, just We want it to be so. Not that we don't want it to be so and there's a good list of rules that we should keep because we know it makes for a good society or good families or good churches or whatever it is if everybody keeps the rules. And this little phrase, for freedom Christ has set us free, measure, you know, there's going to be a few spots here in this passage that 
that we want you to ask and sort of take stock inventory of where you are. Would you describe your Christian life as free? Is this... Now, obviously, All Souls Christian is a small, um, very low-impact, low-commitments type of church. No programs, no membership, not many people, no offering plate. I don't know, some of you have been here years, and you have never seen an offering plate. We should get some. Um, it's not a, it's not a really demanding. So sometimes we forget how fast we should stand in the freedom. It says, you're called to this, this is why you were set free from sin, was that you would be free. Stand fast, then in the freedom, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And he's not talking about sin. He's talking about obedience to the law. Now I, Paul, second verse, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Now, if anything redefines, there's going to be a few things in your Christian walk as you look at the scriptures that redefine what you think Christianity is. And it's going to be hard for you to deal with whatever those subject matters are, because there's always that fear that you're going to choose some heterodox or unorthodox path. You say, no, that's actually what Christ taught. No, that's actually what the apostles said. And all of the Christian history that has gone before has been wrong. You're a little leery of that, because that's what Joseph Smith was thinking back in the 1830s. You know, Everybody else is wrong, and I got a vision of the angel Moroni, and now we know the true religion. But Paul is saying to you, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision... Now, have you ever looked at that and go, that's really odd. Usually we're trying to keep our young people or our people in our church from going out and doing sins, not doing righteousnesses. Receiving circumcision, because it was the law, emblematic of the Jew. He's saying, if you give yourself to that... Christ is nothing. I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is bound to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. It's not an unthought imagery. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. The corrective here is not people who are running down to John's Alley, cussing like a sailor, um, writing bad checks, and hanging out with girls with tattoos. Not that I've ever heard of a woman with a tattoo. Say, maybe they smoke cigars. The concern here is that which would sever you from Christ is taking on the emblematic you say membership in the law. That's what circumcision would be. That's you saying, okay, I'm willing to go through a very painful operation, very painful operation, and uh, it's going to represent that I feel that the law is binding on me. I wouldn't do that if, unless it was. 
I mean, think of any painful, if we had a, a, a membership ritual here that involved paddling. You know, you came down to the altar rail and the head deacon hoisting some large cricket bat because part of joining the church here at All Souls Christian is getting knocked into the next county. Stings like nobody's business. You would really consider, do I really want to have everything that All Souls represents? Do I really want to join? Aren't there other churches that just sort of get baptized you or something? Something painful. Very painful. And it was representative. And Paul says, if you receive it, you're bound to keep the whole law because you are saying the law is valid. If the law is valid, you are not. If the law is valid, it measures righteousness. Well, what's so bad about that? It wasn't good enough for the Jews. Paul says, yeah, but you're severed from Christ. Other than that, other than that small downside, if you would be, the word, I bolded the word justified there. And this is one of those things that I think we're going to address a little bit later in the passage. Um, the Christian church, and we'll just say that there's an awful lot of dear believers who have been passed from death to life in the history of the Christian church. No thanks to the Christian church. And the Christian church has fallen all over itself to mess with this idea. You almost, you might, even though you've, many of you have been here for years at this church, um, and have heard talks about the distinction between grace and the law, still can't get your mind free. But I wanted to tell you in no uncertain terms that you were set free by Christ for the freedom. And if you would be justified by the law, the word just means made righteous. But when you put the word justified there, it makes, it's one of the legitimate translations, but that's what justified means. It makes people think that it's, they're talking to people about their conversion, not their sanctification. But if you just put the phrase, you who would be made righteous by the law, you go, oh yeah, that's pretty much every church. That's pretty much every Christian group, pretty much every Christian family. Some collection of the rules. You've fallen away from grace. Severed from Christ. If you're that sort of person. So I want you to ask yourself, do you, did you really stop to think about the freedom you were called to in being set free, do you realize how pernicious the path back under the law would be? That it, more than getting drunk on a Saturday night, you doing something holy according to the Ten Commandments, you are saying, um, yeah, I don't know if some of you are Sabbatarians, I'm, I'm not. And yesterday was the Sabbath, by the way. The Adventists are right about something. It's on Saturday. There was never a point in history where God came down from glory and said, oh, I'm going to switch the day. No, it's Saturday. And, uh, but I'm not, I, I esteem all days the same. But if a person says, 
the Sabbath must be kept because it's in the law, that phrase, because it's in the law, is justifying the demand for the whole law. Because it's the authority is the law, not your opinion. As soon as I say, I think you should keep the Sabbath, that's different than because it's in the law, you should keep the Sabbath. We are not, and this is just, again, natural to any group of religious people, is to have some system. And we sort of preen ourselves like, oh, it's the rule of St. Benedict. You know, we, 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 we fluff our feathers up in our piety, whatever we're about. But I want you to know, but most people who hear someone talk about this, like St. Paul, are, are look, are, should be, there's objections that come up in your mind. But remember, Paul is answering them so that righteousness would be made true in you. Not so that Christians would run around having a bad life and doing bad things to other people. The very fact you think that that can't be stopped unless you have the law shows what sort of person and how severed from Christ you might be. He says, and I centered these things because this is where the strong remarks came through. If, if, you, if, you, want to be, if you want to be made righteous by the law, you are separated from grace and you're separated from Christ. For through the Spirit, by faith, we wait for the hope of righteousness. That is him responding to someone who says, you are made righteous by keeping the law. If someone came to you and said, what must I do to be saved and what does the law say? Well, listing all the laws, all these things I have done since my youth. It wasn't enough. But a lot of people would think that if you had the Ten Commandments down, not even, not even leaving off the Sabbath one, you would be justified. But such a person would be severed from Christ. Those are the rules. Because our righteousness is from freedom in Christ. Our freedom, what is it? It was through the Spirit, by faith, we wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is of any avail. Doing it either way. It's not the way the Jews would do it and then the, or the contrary of that, not doing it. It's not, if it's not obedience to the law, doesn't mean, if I argue against obedience to the law, doesn't mean I'm arguing for disobedience to the law. Because the polar opposite is not sin and law. Sin and law are on the same side. If the law had not said, thou shalt not covet, I would not have known what it was to covet. So the law wrought all sorts of wickedness in me. The law increases the trespass. For Christ, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is of any avail, but faith working through love. He's making a statement there that's elaborating on where you find righteousness, where you find the holiness of God. Because although I am against the law, I believe in holiness. I believe that we should walk in the light as he is in the light. But we don't walk in the light by the law. We're set free. 
And if you go to the law, you're going back to slavery. Because what should be happening is faith working through love. The Spirit, by faith, bringing about a hope of righteousness. You were running well, verse 7. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? What got in the way? Uh, I'm old enough to remember back in the Jesus people days when we'd be out, you know, handing out underground newspapers and and Christians were witnessing to people on the streets and actually people were interested in talking about those things then. And a lot of what was going on in the Jesus people movement was a little loopy, but an awful lot of it was really good because they weren't coming, this wasn't a ministry of any church, it wasn't the ministry of any parachurch group, it, they had none of the professionals ahead of them. Okay? None of the professionals had gotten at the Jesus people they were just studying their Bibles. Sometimes coming up with a bad answer, sometimes coming up with a good answer. But everyone knew they needed to get at them. And so groups actually had a target goal of getting out to California with a happening young pastor who would wear bell bottoms and a big wooden cross around his neck or something to try to co-opt the energy of the Jesus people. In many ways, they hindered the Jesus people from the growth that it would have been for the church, the benefit it would have been. We would have had to suffer some heresy. We would have had to suffer some heterodoxy. But it's not better than them being co-opted again. Who hindered these guys? This is Galatia. These are, um, the Galatians are, are uh, uh, back in the 2nd, 3rd century B.C., uh, Gauls from Europe invaded Asia Minor and uh, Adalus III of Pergamum, I think, defeated them in, in, uh, in battle. And they ended up settling in the Ancyra area of Asia Minor, which became Galatia because of the Gauls. And uh, so these are not, these are like the French, okay? And vastly different than the Jews, vastly, they're, they're pagan once, re twice removed, because it wasn't just Roman or Greek, it was Gaelic. Pagans from the pagan point of view. And they were running well. Whether it was Paul's direct ministry to them, established them in the faith, taught them in things, and things were growing great until some people came from Jerusalem and started telling them about keeping the law. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? I want you to think in terms that you were called to freedom for the sake of freedom. That keeping the rules, keeping the Christian rules, is the wrong way to be righteous. The right way is faith working through love, by the Spirit. And this is the truth. You were obeying the truth when you first came to God in Christ, and then the church comes along, it's not our fault, but a lot of people in churches do. They start loading you up with the rules. And one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, because I always, when I get into any kind of debate, I like to use it because this persuasion is not from him who calls you. It, this is not from Christ. Oh, we can attach Jesus Christ's name to it. We call it Christianity, right? 
After Jesus, well, how come they call it Christianity? Just be, what is it, naming is everything? The Mormons call it Christianity. You know, they just believe he's a dude that made it, right? And that you can be a guy who makes it too. And God himself is just a guy who made it. And they mean something else. This persuasion, the idea of running your Christian walk by the rules, is not of Christ. You are not more Christ-like for having done it. You are less Christ-like. You're kicking Christ in the shins. You're severed from him. And, but you say, I'm not really bad about that. You know, I'm not really, what's the old adage? Nobody's ever a little bit pregnant. Okay, you don't have a little bit of, some people know what germs will do if, if uh, somebody used to make beer in our house. Who was that? Marshall? Was it Marshall? Russ Potter? Chris Schleck. And I, I, didn't, I didn't make beer, but they were making beer. And, uh, and they were telling me about how they got to steam the bottles. You know, everything's got to be absolutely sanitized. Because just a little tiny bit of something. And they didn't actually do it enough or something. They, bottle caps were blowing off the bottles in the basement, you know, and beer was emptying everywhere. Well, you know that you know what it's, you can't be a little bit pregnant. I'm just a little, you know. You can't tell the spouse, well, I, I only cheated on you once. Oh, that's good to hear. That's so good to hear. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I expect Christ to say, Skippy. A little leaven leavens the whole lump, lump Skippy. You have to be aware that when you start down this path, you might think that you're just being a reasonable acceptor of the kind of biblical piety that seems to be on the service of the Bible in big heaps. But you don't realize that once you step into the claim that the law is the authority to righteousness, right now you might not be willing to obey at all, but then you will have to. Or you won't be righteous, because once you define yourself by that righteousness, that's where you have to go. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now, I like these statements because it tells you how you live the Christian life. By faith, by the Spirit, uh, through the Spirit, by faith. Faith working through love. This is not from Christ. This is not the way Christianity came into your life. And a little bit of it will hurt you badly you will stop walking the way you're supposed to walk. Now, let me be perfectly honest with you, because dishonesty comes naturally to me. We were on my front porch a few weeks ago, and somebody said something about antinomians. Antinomian is the rude insult word that means against, anti, nomos, law. And it's used to describe the kind of Christian heresy, in many cases it was a Christian heresy, people who wanted to lower all the standards, no more law, and we could have open marriage, and we could have, you know, drink too much and curse and whatever it is. In other words, they were, they were not trying to find holiness by antinomianism, they were trying to find 
licentiousness. And I said that, that um, a few weeks ago that, that uh, if you want holiness, freedom is the answer. And if you want licentiousness, freedom is the topic. We like, but, but we like to step away from any sensation that we're trying to lower the standards. And frankly, my whole porch, my porch, my house, drinking my substance and smoking my cigars, they were inveighing against me like I was, you know, Charles Manson. Which is fine. I don't mind that at all. And I want you to know that pretty much any book you will read about Christian righteousness will make this error. Very famous people differ with somebody like me who is not, they don't even know they're differing because they don't know why I exist. I'm, why am I saying this? It's not because I don't cry for help and I'm feeling sad about rejection. This is next verse. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. And he who is troubling you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. St. Paul goes, oh yeah, I know big name people who have, you know, a lot of reach and publishing differ or speak the righteousness of God as if it were through the law. I don't care. You take no other view than what I'm giving you. And I want you, I'm going to encourage you to be Pauline at this moment. Say, yeah, I don't take any other view than St. Paul's. I was called to freedom by the freedom Christ set me free in. I find the righteousness of God by faith working through love, not having some list on the fridge. And I don't think I can really afford to take any other view than that. I, so when people say, haven't you an antinomian? So I'm sorry, I, Paul was antinomian. He was against the law. He was for holiness. And that's what you've got to say. We are called to holiness because God knew that sin was a problem. Law just made it worse. He's basically saying, damn you, to the guy who's troubling you will bear his judgments, like right out of earlier in the book. You know, the, the uh, uh, first passage in Galatians, anybody preaching a different gospel than that which I have preached, let them be damned. But if I, brethren, still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the stumbling block of the cross has been removed. Do you understand why all priestcraft, all religion, can't stand real Christianity? Because they don't have the controls on you. They don't have the liturgical controls. They don't have the financial controls. They don't have the moralizing ethical controls. Where they tie your even being at their church service as one of the moral things you must achieve. But I want to be Pauline. I, if, I, if I did the right thing, if we... We're kind of set for it. I mean, we've got a chancel, we've got a steeple. Um, pews, good church lights. 
Um, so we could really go that priestly way. I've, I've had people ask me to dress in church pastor garb, you know, little white cutout collar, stand out front with my mustaches, greeting people with that unction that a pastor has. All souls Christian, good day to see you, Mrs. So, Miss So-and-so, Mr. So-and-so. Pass the plate, we could elect, I don't know, deacons. Well, we could find a way to not be persecuted. It's not that we are persecuted. Nobody's denying you a job. Nobody's beating you up on the way out of church. But for Paul, he's saying, you know, this is, this is why the Jews did not like, and religious people did not like Christianity, because Christianity wasn't like any religion on the planet. It wasn't a priestcraft by which we made the God happy with our bowing and scraping, our incantations. The stumbling block of the cross has been removed. The Jews did not like the Gentile mission that Jesus Christ, I was talking to Andrew about this the other day, he asked about Romans, what kind of the general topic um, of Romans was and how the corporate, uh, the nature of the corporate election of the people of God is what is present. And the Jews did not like the fact that the Gentile world, uncircumcised and not keeping the law, were fully elect with God just as much as they were. They just didn't like it. And Paul's response to them is, Christianity is too sacred. I wish, matter of fact, I wish that anybody who causes trouble in this regard would castrate themselves. That's what he says. He said would mutilate themselves. He's talking about circumcision. He says, I wish, I wish the operation would go awfully wrong and they would do it on themselves first. Because that's all you deserve. You're trying to step into the people of God, the work of God in history, grace coming to you through faith. And you're going to try to get righteousness through the law. You were called to freedom, verse 13. You were called to freedom, brethren. Now this is where holiness steps in. Say, For freedom you have been set free. Not so that I can write myself any ticket of life I wanted out of that freedom. You were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love be servants of one another. Now what's interesting, what did you think of when it says an opportunity for the flesh? What? Flesh. It all sounds as sibilant S and big things of bad words have that sort of snake. Uh, flesh. Now we know that there are sins of the flesh that we, we're going to list here in a moment. But we don't realize, and when I told you how the, 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 the sin and the law were not opposites, it's the spirit and law sin over here that we're opposites to. Righteousness effectively driven by faith in Jesus Christ through the spirit. What does it say? Faith working through love. You were called to freedom, my brethren. When he tells you, back in earlier in Galatians 3, 
Um, Galatians 3.1, it says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? That's his, that, how did this work? Did this work by you doing the law things or hearing and believing? Are you so foolish? Having begun with the Spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? It tells you that Paul views the flesh as not just me staggering out of John's alley down the street, not just me having a life of licentiousness, serving my appetites, but part of your flesh is the desire for a self-controlled righteousness by legal observation, moral legal obligation. That's part of the flesh. Don't use your freedom as a path back to slavery. The slavery can be to a life of sin, and the slavery could be a life of the law. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's in red, and it probably should be in red, maybe tattooed on your forehead. From Matthew 22, here it's on the left-hand side. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together, and one of them, a lawyer, Teacher, what is the great commandment of the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And then Paul says in Romans, Oh, no one anything, except this is like last week or two weeks ago in the sermon, except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this sentence. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. God's path for you to be holy, and all the holy things that the law represents, is found by faith working through love. Not by lists working through church action, or expectation, or demands. The presence of punishment. Might say the exact same thing. The Christian holiness doesn't say, you know, kind of murder. I've really been thinking about this. Maybe that can work out for us. We know it's wrong. We just don't approach murder. To stop it from happening in my life by a rule that says murder shouldn't happen. Thou shalt not murder didn't work. It just increased the trespass. just made you want it more badly. What stops unrighteousness is love. You do not wrong your neighbor when you love your neighbor. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you are not consumed by one another. But I say walk by the Spirit. What does that look like? And do not gratify the desires of the flesh. And I would say once again, the desires of the flesh include sin and law righteousness. That's how Paul defined it earlier in the book. So walking by the Spirit seems to be very important. For you to have concluded 
that I'm meant to be free. I am meant to be living in the hope of righteousness by the Spirit through faith, or through the Spirit by faith. Faith working through love. I should not be trying to live life the way the purveyors of biblical law keeping would have it be the case. Somehow it's got to be described. What, 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 what is walking by the Spirit? For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. Did you see that the, this is the opposite? It's not the law, the rules that say don't murder somebody and murdering somebody. We would naturally think that murdering somebody, the opposite is not murdering them. Or a command not to do so. But now murdering somebody and the hatred and the self-absorption is opposite loving somebody, being a servant one of another. What does it say back in verse 13? But through love be servants of one another. If we do this and we don't bite and devour one another, so we don't consume one another, we know that the things that are sinful in this world are fixed by love, are actually defeated by love. They're not defeated by telling you not to do them or that they're wrong. And it's amazing how quickly the desires of the flesh, verse 17, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you would. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. That's reassuring. Remember, through the Spirit, by faith, we have a hope of righteousness. I sidestepped the law. I didn't try to answer my sinful propensities or whatever temptation I was under by a strong and stout rule with the social uh, obligations of the church. You're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are plain. Now, there's a list here of sins. It's It's a good list. You'll want to dwell on it. You know, I, I'm not going to spend... I've got to get to the end of the passage because I'm going to Spokane. But, look at that list. Fornication. The first part's all kind of the icky, kind of sexy sins. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness. That one has a lot of sibling S's in it. Licentiousness. And then there's like uh, magical stuff, idolatry, sorcery, and then kind of political group problems, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, party spirit, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God, in case you were wondering whether or not that was okay. The antinomian does not have the position that any of that is okay. You shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, how do I stop it? Well, don't create a list out of that and say, well, of course the Ten Commandments are passed away because we're not Old Covenant, we're New Covenant, and here's the New Covenant list. Don't do these things. He says, no, they're plain. He's describing what the flesh is like. This is what you will do. Does it ever bother you that sometimes in churches that are really big on legalism, there always seems to pop up some grave, grave, grave moral sin? Well, it's because it doesn't actually stop it. 
These sorts of things are descriptive of fleshly people. And those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's just telling you how to recognize Christianity. Because the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is not doing idolatry and not sleeping around and not robbing people and not, what else do we do? No sorcery. Not committing any sorcery. Don't do any of that. If you had somebody who didn't do any of those bad things in the works of the flesh, how do you define their walk? Are they godly? Actually, you got to see the fruit of the Spirit. If the person is living in the Spirit through love, you have to see the love, right? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. It's almost like, yeah, we have a list too. You have a list of unrighteousness and there are laws against those things. We have a list here of righteousnesses and there's no law against being good. This is a way of being good that is out of your freedom you have in Christ. It's fruit. It's not works. And if you have that first one on the list, if the Holy Spirit has been, if you have paid attention to walking by the Spirit, said back in verse 16, if you paid attention, you've got to define what that is, I've got to know what my freedom is in Christ, I've got to know how faith working through love, how is this going to operate? Well, certainly, Christ bringing love into your life. So, well, I'm not loving. Well, then I would say, are you a Christian? I know, yeah, you signed up for things, and maybe you listened to Christian music. God help you. But are you, I mean, if you weren't changed, what's, you were set free for freedom. You were, you were passed from death to life. If love's not there after you're done. I mean, when our kids became Christians, we said, okay, good. We'll, we'll watch for a while, see whether or not you have any kind of godliness. And in some cases, they didn't. And so you just wait a little longer because they were trying to jump through whatever religious hoop the Wilson family was setting out for them because they wanted to belong. It's a natural thing. But you've got to have, this is, this is the work of God. This is God's spirit in you producing love and joy and peace and patience. And if it's only producing fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, you might want to check or see me after I get back from Spokane. We are a different sort of being religiously. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And what does the person with a little bit of leaven say? Well, this is how you crucify the flesh. You, you keep this, you know, you, you set yourself some goals and you memorize scriptures that tell you that you can't commit idolatry um, and you memorize all the different... You're training them to be law observers. You crucify the flesh the way Christ has brought about its crucifixion. You died with Christ. You were raised with him. That's what it says in Romans, right? Romans 10-ish. Um, 
somewhere in Romans. Where it says that uh, I don't see it. That's the problem with not memorizing scripture, which is one of the rules, right? You remember the scripture, but you don't remember all those numbers where you where you put something. Bad filing system. We've crucified the flesh by the path that we have in Christ to die with him. We've also I keep looking at my face, my eyes are going over the page page in Romans, going, it's right there, it's got to be right there. This is the first sign of my aging. Never mind, I'll give it up. You've died with Christ. You will also live with Christ. You must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Because you've been set free. This is a different way of dealing with it. I know it's going to be hard. It's hard for me to think my way through it. But consider that this is the path. We live by the Spirit, verse 25. Let us also walk by the Spirit. You were, as you received him, so live in him. How can you begin with the Spirit, you now ending with the flesh? How could you come to Christ through grace and faith and then turn around and, and, and start following the rules? You should be righteous, and people might think you're following the rules, and sometimes you will meet people who are godly, and, it look, and you'll look and say, boy, I wonder why they're so godly. And you start looking at all that they do, and then you try to make rules out of what they do. They're not being godly by those rules. They're being holy because they love. You want to be holy. You want to have the kind of example that you don't turn into a rule, that you don't turn into a rule, they didn't turn into a rule, you want an example of love in front of you. That people who attend to others, who care for others, who are joyful and patient and kind to others, who are by, through love servants of one another. You have a great godliness in those situations. Now at the last bit, the last verse, verse 26, I was thinking about taking it out because I could have ended, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit, Flash pots go off, there's a crescendo, room goes dark. It's a good ending. But at the end of the chapter is this other verse, let us have no conceit, no provoking of one another, no envy of one another. It's kind of like, oh, I forgot some sins. You know, a little dash of this, a dash of that, maybe a half a teaspoon of this. Then I looked at it for a while and said, why is that? What can I say about it? I don't want to take it out. I feel like I'm cheating. Well, one, for us in our life with each other, this is a description of love, right? If you look at Romans 13, uh, Corinthians 13, not insisting on its own way. No self-conceit. Have no self-conceit. No provoking, no poking each other in the eye. No envy. You've just, you've just cleaned up 
the moral life of a lot of people. Because love is sitting in those small actions. Love is sitting in that that says, I don't, I don't think too much of myself. I mean, how much narcissism, how much self-interest is too much? Quite a, it's, it's there for you. So much of what you need to learn is you not being as important as you think. We tend to provoke one another because we like the crisis that we bring into other people's lives and we envy. Anytime we're not the successful one, it bugs the living tarnation out of us. Consider the love that you have because of Christ. Consider as parents the love you can example to your children by how you treat one another as husbands and wives, how you treat them, how you treat your friends, how you speak of others. Because this is the example. This is Christianity. This is what Christ is. This is the freedom we have. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Your goodness brought to us through a marvelous new mystery of what it is to be in Christ, to live by faith, to be drawn to your righteousness and to please you. We'd ask that we would be producing the kind of Christians that you want to see, who have done your will because we want to. In your son's name, amen.